0: You've tuned in to Columbia Calling, your first stop for everything you want to know about Columbia. How and where to invest, where to visit. From the Pacific to the Caribbean, the Andes Mountains to the Amazon jungle, Columbia has a slice of everything. Shooting from the hip, answering the questions that need answering. Here's your host, the journalist and hotelier Richard McCall. Shedding some light on the fashionable South American destination of Colombia.
1: It's that time of the week again, folks. This is me, your host, Richard McCall, here in Bogota, Colombia, 2,600 meters closer to the stars. And this is episode 365 of the Colombia Calling podcast. This week's very special guest will be back in segment three. It's Juan Jose Guzman, who will be on the line with us from New York. And we'll be talking about his... Ah, well something he set up called pacto por el clima he's the co-director of this organization promoting youth activism for climate change in latin america so quite exciting and quite positive at the end when we think about new generations coming through something i talk about quite a lot but new generations coming through not only in colombia but in latin america for worthy causes and so uh, I hope you'll stay tuned for this episode. it's really it's really uplifting, as I said, to hear someone of this generation, of a younger generation talking so positively about issues and campaigning so rigorously. Uh, this, as I said, is episode three hundred and sixty five and I just want to take a moment to thank the five new pledges on Patreon who've signed up to support the Columbia Calling Podcast. That's Hannes, Amanda, Sergio, Larry, and Sean. Thank you all of you for signing up. And if you want to know how to do so, if you're not a Patreon and you want to become a Patreon and support the Columbia Calling Podcast, that's patreon.com and look up Columbia Calling. And for as little as $2 a month, you can pledge to support the Patreon and the Columbia Calling podcast. podcast and thank you as well to daniel daniel who bought a columbia calling t-shirt on our bonfire.com page so thank you to daniel for that as well just check that out there's hoodies uh, mugs uh, t-shirts tote bags all sorts of things on our our bonfire.com page for those people who are looking looking for columbia calling merchandise Uh, it's been interesting weeks and uh, numbers are dropping Official numbers are dropping of coronavirus cases in Colombia, so this is only positive. As are well, there are vaccines arriving, so it's not time to for me to say urinate on the government's parade. Vaccines are arriving and numbers are dropping, so this is positive. Hopefully, this can reflect for me at least in terms of an upturn in tourism towards Montpos and, of course, all small towns around Colombia. So we'll be back. It's in segment three. That'll be me talking to Juan José Guzman. I hope you enjoyed last week's show with uh, Shauna Galuli talking about SOS Buenaventura. Very important show. Uh, And right now we'll be leaving you in the capable hands of Emily Hart with uh, another new segment from her there in her base in Medellin. So thank you again, everyone who have Uh, who has uh, committed to the Columbia Calling podcast and uh, the campaigns that we are uh, raising here to not only raise attention and awareness of what's going on in Colombia, but to ensure the survival of this small podcast from one guy and his desk in Colombia in Bogota. And of course, Emily Hart there at her desk in Medellin. So thank you again. And don't go away.
2: I'm Emily Hart. And these are your top stories for the week of March 1st, 2021. The witness tampering case against former president Álvaro Uribe continues, while the star witness against him refuses to testify. The prosecutor leading the case against Álvaro Uribe has demanded that imprisoned ex-paramilitary leader Juan Guillermo Monsalve should testify, but Monsalve has refused, saying he fears an ambush or a trap by the prosecutor. Monsalve is the star witness in the case because it is alleged that he was the one whom Uribe, through third parties, tried to manipulate into changing a testimony which implicated the former president in the formation of paramilitary groups. Prosecutor Gabriel Jaimez must decide before the 8th of March whether to formally charge Uribe with witness tampering and bring him to trial or end the process. Most of the evidence Jaimez has requested aims to reinforce Uribe's arguments, and many are therefore speculating that he intends to close the case. The director of the United Nations Human Rights Office in Colombia has urged the government to dismantle paramilitary groups in order to secure peace. These armed groups and their associates are held responsible for much of the country's persistent violence. According to the UNHCR's annual report, 133 human rights defenders and community leaders were murdered in 2020, the highest number since the peace deal with former guerrilla group the FARC in 2016. The Human Rights Office additionally stressed that it had registered 76 massacres last year, the highest number since 2014, in which 292 people were killed. More than half of those massacres took place in three departments of Colombia, Antioquia, Cauca and Nariño. The government has announced the capture of one of the heads of the Clan del Golfo, Colombia's biggest armed group. According to the National Police, Elias D-Max is considered to be a close ally of Otoniel, the top leader, and he was in charge of the cocaine shipment routes from Colombia's Urabá region to Central America and the United States. It has been estimated in a new report submitted to the Transitional Justice Tribunal, the HEP, that 8,000 children, those under the age of 18, were recruited by different armed actors between the years 1997 and 2000 alone. The case continues. During marches and protests commemorating Day Against Police Brutality, Gareth Stephen Sayer, a 24-year-old student, was shot in his left eye with a tear gas canister by a member of Colombia's ESMAD riot police. He lost vision in his eye. Vaccinations against coronavirus have finally begun in Colombia and case numbers continue to fall, now at fewer than 4,000 new cases registered per day, down from a peak of 20,000 last month. Colombia has now seen 60,000 coronavirus deaths in a population of 50 million. That was this week's news. Now back to Colombia Calling with Richard McCall.
1: and we're back this is colombia calling episode 365 i'm richard mccall here in bogota colombia my very special guest this week is juan jose guzman who is in new york at the moment and juan jose got in touch with the colombia calling podcast uh, offering his expertise and knowledge on a very very interesting topic here for colombia so before we delve into that in and environmental activism let's just say juan jose welcome on the colombia calling podcast
3: Hello Richard, thank you thank you very much for for accepting um this uh unsolicited request of of being in your podcast and 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 for as we say in Colombia pararme bolas.
1: No, it's an absolute pleasure to absolute pleasure to have you on it and I love having Colombians on the podcast cuz sometimes they just sometimes you, you know Colombians are like, "Ah, oh, it's it's a foreign language podcast, it's not for us," but re- it is. It's for everyone. So it's always it's always a I listen bit. to it. <laughs> so
3: so I, I do think of it as, as being my own.
1: There we go. There we go. No, it's 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 fun, you know, and and we try and make it as as inclusive as possible and and try and get everybody on but it, you know, not everyth- not everybody cannot be on all the time and and but we're doing quite well this year. So far I've had no trouble in, in finding people week in week out. Sometimes it becomes a real effort. I mean, sometimes it's like god how am I going to fill a podcast slot? So <laughs> anyway, not, you know, you got in touch and we had some back and forth and so on. And you were saying, well, you know, you, you've just uh, in 2019, you completed your BA in economics and sustainable development from the University of Columbia in New York. And so your desire is and your, your interest, it seems, and you're a Bogotano, I believe, is kind of youth based environmental activism. Is that what you'd say?
3: I would say so. And, and, and not only youth based, but rather, um, as, as I said at the beginning when I started this uh, organization that we'll talk about for sure in the, the coming minutes, to tropicalize youth activism.
1: Tropicalize youth activism. Well, we're going to have to go into that. So, what, what is your organization called?
3: So, I, in, in 2019, that was late 2019, around um, August, September, October. Um, along with some of the activists of the Trials for Future movement in Colombia that that was just um, beginning, uh, we decided to to create this group called Pacto por el Clima. Mm -hmm. Um, Pacto por el Clima, its whole purpose is to enrich and to some extent um, tropicalize, as I was saying, the climate discourse around activism in, in Colombia and to go um, and to enrich the the activism space and go a little bit beyond the traditional activities of activists, um, we do not go to the streets, and that's on purpose. Uh, it's not because we think it's not it's not relevant, but rather um, it's because there's organizations that already do that, amongst them Fridays for Future. So we want to do something else. We want to enrich the space, add new things.
1: Okay, and tropicalize, obviously. You know, you're pointing at the region in which we find ourselves now, not not making it North American centric or or European centric.
3: That's right. That's right. And 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 I don't say Colombianized, even though that, that could be a a a word that we could use here, but rather tropicalized, because there's to some extent a a sense of um whether explicit or implicit, a sense of camaraderie amongst mm-hmm. uh youth activism in, in the global south. Uh, and by the global south, I, I not only mean a geographic region, but also a socioeconomic and ethnic uh, region, cultural region uh, worldwide. That's what I mean by tropical. Ice.
1: Yeah, I can, I can see that. I can definitely see that. I can how that how it works. And, it, and of course, you need to cast this net far and wide in order to catch the right people. Uh, so in this Pacto por el Clima, uh, tell me a little bit about it. Uh, y- y- you know, when did it start? How many uh, chapters do you have? Members from all over the world? Is it is it truly international?
3: No. So right now, it's it's mostly a, a Colombian organization. We're about 32 uh, members in Colombia. All of us, uh, the majority of us would be around 22, 23 years old mm-hmm. uh, with some younger, some older Um, and what's really beautiful about this organization is that over the past, I would say almost two years now, um, we've been able to gather a group of people that's very diverse, uh, diverse, both, uh, intellectually, but also emotionally and ethnically, um, gender diversity all across the group. We have, I'm the only economists (laughs) in the, in the group and we have, uh, engineers, we have, um, biologists, we have, uh, I don't know, his uh, students of history, we have um, school students and it's a really beautiful group where we've uh, essentially tried to create first an intimate space where we can learn an intimate space where we are able to be to some extent vulnerable about what we don't know about the climate crisis uh, to uh, the main reason for that being that we we always go out as if we already know <laughs> where we're going to stay. Mm-hmm. As, as if we already know what the solution is, and and Pacto is a space for us to reflect and really um, dive deep into uh, that question: Do we know what the solution is? And if we do, what is it? <laughs> um, and then beyond that, we have a we have a a series of of action lines, as we call them, lineas de acción. Mm-hmm. Um, one of them uh, being a pedagogical action line, where we essentially conduct uh, different types of workshops. Uh, most of them in, in Bogota, most of our members are in Bogota. And we'll talk about that a little bit later. That, that's going to be very interesting. Um, then we also have a, a, a political action where we engage in, in activism um, politically in political spaces, such as the the Consejo de Bogota. So the uh, City Council in Bogota, where we've been supporting over the past, I would say year and a half, The the uh, climate climate emergency declaration that just passed a couple months ago. Um, We've been part of that process. We've also been part of the of the process of the climate emergency declaration at the national level, Mm -hmm. uh, being invited to some to a lot of fora with the with the national government. Some of them with our dearest President Duque. Um, Don't get me started. Don't get me started. (laughs) Um, And then, so the just to to quickly wrap up. Uh, what we do um we also have a a, a new action line that's called uh creation so creation and it's doing activism through art art and expression um and last year this was a, a a part of a very beautiful project that we that one of our members led on the creation of a of an online um, gallery to show art from Uh, young latin american artists and how on deforestation and how it relates to to people Mm -hmm. people and biodiversity Mm -hmm. um and finally we have an in um a research branch where we try to we're we're not of course um we're not an academic institution but we do try to bring a a new um let's say uh idea or discourse that is grounded on real facts Mm uh with uh, connecting issues such as um, peace in Colombia and climate change, with it, which is a, a a connection not very often made, but one we think is extremely relevant for climate change and the climate crisis and mm-hmm. our activism to be relevant in a country ravaged by war, where war is the norm. Mm-hmm. So how do we make the climate crisis a seemingly... Um, I don't know, like a, not an existential crisis for those in mm. war, something relevant. And that's all part of what we do.
1: Well, it, it sounds to me like you, you guys are very organized uh, and very organized indeed. <laughs> and I'm I'm curious, if you say you've got a really, I mean, I would say um, diverse group of people together, there's going to, of course, there are political differences as well. Oh, I yes, mean, I yes, can yes, only yes. imagine that there's a, kind of <laughs> you could have your <laughs> extremists on both sides <laughs> so
3: that's true that's true um and and, and you know what that's uh, that's a a discussion that's been commonplace amongst um different youth activist groups uh, not only ours but fridays for future and and, and others elsewhere yeah. um but at least the, the the our stand with respect to politics is we are by the very fact that we're an activist organization and that we care about the climate crisis, uh, that we think that is an existential crisis, that is in itself a political move. Um, so we, we don't deny that. Mm -hmm. However, we do steer away from, um, partisan politics. And the reason we do that is because we recognize that at least in Colombia. and, And I think that that's the case for mostly every country in the world, um, partisan politics, um, to some extent degrades the political discussion um and it's not about the issue itself but rather who's talking about it rather what did the person do <laughs> mm. um and well you, you know what i mean so just to be very clear whenever there's discussions around politics in the group we we allow them to exist we think it's natural that they exist and on the other hand we i also try to 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 spice things up um, and even play devil's advocate sometimes because um i think a a very interesting thing that as an activist one should do is be able to empathize with whoever the quote-unquote enemy is Mm -hmm. and understand really understand what they do what they do um because otherwise it's it's impossible for you to to win any fight if you don't know who you're dealing with Mm. so it's a It's also a kind of an intellectual but political exercise in 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 enriching our discourse when we do have those discussions.
1: Well definitely. I mean, this is I would say totally and uh, incredibly important is to have these debates because of course, you know you need to have all of this uh, weaponry in in your you know in, at your disposal when you come to speak. Uh, to politicians and of course as you say it here it's all personality politics and really someone from the liberal party might not be so different from someone from the conservative party who might not be so different from the centro democratico party which is not a central party which is and the green party (laughs) is not a green party and (laughs) and
3: that that reminds me and i and i love this this quote i i always remember uh when discussing politics in colombia from garcia marquez in Mm -hmm. Uh, 100 Years of Solitude, where he says something of the sorts of the only difference between liberals and conservatives is the time they go to mass. <laughs> yes, And I true. think that's brilliant, because that's, <laughs> that's, that's totally the case in Colombia and elsewhere as
1: well. Yeah, it, it's true. So but I, I think I would admire you and, and that you've got this group of people together and you've got this diversity and that you're fighting for this noble cause. But we have to discuss the idea of environmental activism in Colombia. Because activism, you know, uh, immediately you say it in Colombia, and I can see people not far from where I am sitting now in, in you know, northern Chapinero, they'll be like, oh, God, these are the people who go to the streets, this is the Universidad Pedagógica, this is the Nacional, these are these you know, irate left-wingers who are connected to the guerrilla groups and so <laughs> on. I mean, the, the word activism is tainted with the stigma.
2: So that's right.
1: for you, that's right. I mean, you know, you, you, you're at a very prestigious university, you're in New York and so on. You are trying to change this image.
3: Not only to try to change the image, um, but rather to, to make those that uh, criticize activism realize how dumb, to be <laughs> honest, that argument is and how, how, um, how let's say, empty. Mm-hmm. It is. It's not recognizing that that activism is a very diverse kind of thing and that activism is not only does not only exist in, quote unquote, the left activism exists in the right. Um, we, we don't have to go very far to to understand that activism might be as dangerous in the left as it is in the right. Um, <laughs> if we if we judge by by the events of the past couple of months. Um, yeah. So but to go even beyond that, it's to redefine what activism means, because uh, at least in Colombia, I would say that a lot of people who think of the word activism or the word um, or the word uh, political engagement think of either personality politics mm-hmm. or they think about uh, echar mm-hmm. <laughs> They think about destroying the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, and to some extent, what we try to do at Pacto por el Clima is to redefine that. Our mm-hmm. activism is not an activism, um, based on, on, on dogmas, but rather an activism based on self critique and understanding and, and try to be rigorous in what we do. It's not easy because that's not what normal activism, or I wouldn't say normal, but rather conventional activism does. And I, and I understand that that might be the case. Uh, but in our, um, in, 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 in our view, a a a world with the climate crisis and a world where climate crisis where the climate crisis is being discussed requires a level of rigor, mm-hmm. especially if those uh, people like us, let's say in my case, uh, now literally in front of the microphone, um, we need to know our, our our data. We need to know mm-hmm. our our shit, as they say, yeah. Um, because otherwise, um, we might be dismissed as locos, as people who don't know what they're talking about so we we should be able to go in front of a a um a minister of finance go in front of a of a chief uh, oil executive and have a good discussion with them and not show, shy away from that and yeah. be able to win that with arguments and mm. that's good activism mm.
1: well yeah it's an it, it, excellent point and the thing is if you don't come to the table that you you will just be brushed away as sort of university students exactly with, uh, you know exactly with with a cause but easy easy to get rid of but it, so i mean it sounds like you've got everything well planned and well organized and but let's talk about activism in colombia it was only a couple of weeks ago that there's you know the uh, a kid a kid got mm, death Francis, threats um, uh, I don't have his name to hand, unfortunately, but death threats for for, you know, I was calling for for you know, climate awareness, really. I mean, activism's a serious issue here. And, and we don't need to look, talk too much, unfortunately, about the, the, the issue of community and social leaders, people who have been pushing for the enforcement uh, of the peace accords, largely, yeah, I, I, This is an activism, of course, and 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 you know the, the death toll is startling, if not horrific. So I mean, you've got involved in something that can be potentially life threatening here in Colombia.
3: I, oof, that's a that's a big question, um, <laughs> and and I think it's it's a question a lot of people who or a lot of the people who I who have worked with in in youth climate activism, at least in Colombia are not very aware of until mm. it's to some extent too late and they're mm. already in the movement. Um, because that, that's not what they, that's not the reason they join. They mm. join because they feel something in them that, that pulls them. Um, but then with, uh, people like, uh, Francisco, Francisco yeah. is his name, um, <laughs> once you're in, it's difficult to get out in the first place and then you're exposed to all these kinds of, of, um, of threats. Um, and here I want to be very clear about something and, mm-hmm. and, and about the, the, let's say, the composition of our group, uh, where I say that most of us are in Bogota mm-hmm. um, and most of us are urban Colombians. Mm-hmm. And most of the killings, most of the um, threats that uh, activists face are not us. Are not the people who live in the cities and that's a a function of the fact that colombia's uh conflict as as we all know is a profound divide between rural and urban areas it's like two countries in one Mm -hmm. um and our group in our group we we're very very aware of that and all the time we first recognize the privilege that we have of being urban Colombians and not being exposed to that level of of violence. We are exposed to violence online, but I think that's a a different kind of violence. Um, Very, very different Mm -hmm. to the kind of violence that the young um, climate activists in rural areas are exposed to. Um, And to some extent, what we try to do to bridge that divide is empathy is Practice empathy, understand the differences and, and not only understand, but also shut up when we don't have to talk and let others talk and give the microphone to others. And actually, uh, a philosophy that we're trying to, to promote this year 2021 is to give the microphone to those who 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 hasn't who haven't been able to have it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's part of this of this campaign worldwide of pass the mic. Like there's there's a lot of people in the in the environmentalist movement who've had the 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 microphone for decades now, um, but there's many many more voices that should come in and enrich uh, the voices enrich the uh, the type of experiences they've had and also enrich the message. Mm-hmm. Um, so going back to your point, yes, it's a it's a very very tough uh, position to be a climate activist, at least in terms of of understanding the uh concerns on, on one's life. But don't get me wrong, it's not that <laughs> mm. I, I I think that we're uh in some way um above uh climate activists in rural areas, but we do have a a privilege of not being faced with those types of, of threats as often. And if we do, not think of them too seriously mm. because we know that might not be the case for us, but for them it's definitely a reality and that's something that we're always very very aware of and something that that it's 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 saddening sometimes mm-hmm. because what can we do right what can we do keep being an activist keep mm-hmm. saying protect their lives keep raising awareness that this is going on mm-hmm. um and giving them space for them to talk and to discuss why they're being killed because a lot of the times we do see Um, the statistics, but we don't understand why, what it is that makes them such an attractive target. (laughs) Right. Um, And then to go to quickly go into that, it's because they're going against economic interests. But as an economist, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think the the issue is the fact that economic interests exist. It's the fact that these economic interests disregard the interests of others. And I think that that whole conflict and the fact that sometimes the interest of one of, of a group of people have a priority over the interests of another group of people is the issue and is the whole issue of of a lack of, of, of structural and, and concise governance in rural Colombia. Mm. Um, but we, we talk too much about the, the, the number of killings, not so much about why they're being killed.
1: That's the thing. And at the end of it, it's like, oh yeah, we—they killed the, or the guy who is the autor intellectual. the, you know, the guy hmm. who pulled the trigger has been caught. That's you know, of course, this person. That's must nothing, be, yeah. Yeah, it, it must be. He must be. He or she must be brought to justice. But it's, it's who sent the order and why and what hmm. and it never goes beyond that. It never goes beyond that initial question. As, oh no, we caught the killer as If it was, an, it, we were just you know it was a one off assassination killing it's it's never yeah. that there's far more to it and you're very I, wow it's very succinct and very clear on your message i i, I think you've been practicing a lot in your activism debates so you're you're very much <laughs> on a, on message it's quite impressive um, but let's talk about it then because of course you're you know heavily involved in this and, you know, you're trying to influence national politics through the Consejo de Bogotá and other politicians, and you said, you know, the president and so on. But talk, let's talk a little bit about Colombia and climate change, because, of course, Colombia with so much within her borders is really... At the mercy of a huge catastrophic effects of climate change. Tell us a little bit. You're, you mean you are far more the expert than I am. I'd like to hear your experiences, your knowledge, and 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 what you've seen around the country.
3: Yes, uh, that, that's a very good question, uh, Richard. I, I would say that one has to first understand what the actual risks of climate change are. And what they what they entail for the, a at least in Colombia the, a a population of around fifty million people and these uh, I would use a, a taxonomy or a typology used by by people in finance actually uh, that I think it's pretty relevant um, for us as activists but also as as civilians, to understand uh, saber cómo se come el cambio climático, to understand how how you can deal with this huge issue um, that to some extent uh, is seen as very distant for mm-hmm. a lot of people. It's like something they discuss in New York, something that's going on in the Arctic, something that has nothing to do with me. Mm-hmm. And here we talk about physical and uh, transition risks. What do I mean by physical? By physical, I mean um, acute and chronic risks of climate change. So essentially what I'm saying is acute being the immediate consequences of climate change, such as um, stronger uh, rains in certain parts of Colombia, as we've seen mm-hmm. uh, in the Ola Invernal in every now and then. Um that in Colombia, given its, its uh, topographical composition with a lot of mountains all, all, all over the place, uh, this translates directly into landslides, into mm-hmm. landslides, into um, accumulations of water in, in, in savannas, let's say, such as Bogotá. We're, we don't have to go very far from the capital to understand what's going on. Um, but also droughts, the droughts and increases in, in temperature. And, and, and at least for the case of, of droughts, Colombia is very, very um, uh, vulnerable to droughts, uh, not only because we exist in a very delicate uh, environment where we see in Colombia that you travel 15, 20 minutes down the road and you're in another country, you're in another universe ecosystem-wise. Mm-hmm. Um, but that also shows the, the, the delicate balance that exists in, in our country's uh, ecosystem, where any subtle change might be able to unleash a series of events. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I talk about droughts, it now connects with our economic system, because part of uh, Colombia is an is a, um, agricultural exporter. Uh, we're a country that re- heavily relies on the on the food that we produce locally and domestically. Um, and we're also a country, um, whether a lot of activists like to accept it or not, that is powered by renewable energy. Mm-hmm. Um, 80% of Colombia's electricity, the electricity you're using right now in Bogotá, more than likely comes from a hydroelectric dam. So whenever there is droughts in the country, that directly affects the, our, our capacity to produce power. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that, that goes um, against um, the basic principles of energy, which is plentiful energy at a cheap cost. Mm-hmm. Um, and we see that at least in 2015, let's say, where we have uh, the Banco de la República issuing a lot of alerts um, saying that there was inflation in the country, not because of increases in the price of, of uh of, of food or other types of, uh, of product, but rather the price of energy. So we do see a direct impact in, into the, the day-to-day life of Colombians of climate change. And these, um, uh, let's say, um, pathways of, of transmission of risk are not very clear to a lot of people. Hmm. Then we have the, um, of course, flooding, flooding in coastal areas, different from the flooding in, in, in inland. Mm-hmm. Um, flooding in coastal areas, most resulting from hurricanes and storms. Uh, just to be clear for those of, of, of uh, your listeners who are not acquainted with what climate change actually means, is it doesn't mean more storms. It means more severe storms. So the same number of storms, but the, the, the severity of each is going to be ever more increasing, um, worse, increasingly worse. And we see that with ETA, and Yota over the past couple of months, uh, going over the Caribbean, going over San Andres, uh, and even into Nicaragua and, and those countries. And those are the physical risks. Um, and one last physical risk that is very, very interesting is um, related to health. Mm-hmm. Um, health in rural areas and health in urban areas. In urban areas, there's something called the heat island effect where cities like bogota where you go past uh plaza de Bolívar down south and you don't find a single tree mm. um that creates something called the heat island effect where concrete and and the whole let's say uh built environment concentrates heat in such a way that the difference between uh la sabana de bogota out in the open and the temperature in a in a barrio south uh, southern part of bogota is significant and that might lead to heat stroke, even in cities like Bogota. Now, imagine in cities like Santa Marta, like in cities like Barranquilla, yeah. where heat is already very, very high. And then we have um, the propagation of new uh, um, disease vectors. And here's I'm getting into a little bit of speculation because, of course, there, there's a need to, for more academic literature on this, which is. A lot of areas in Colombia have had dengue for hundreds of years. Climate change will bring on new higher temperatures for higher latitudes. That essentially means that dengue, uh, malaria, all these uh, yellow fever, um, all these uh, tropical diseases will will go up the mountain. Mm -hmm. And there might be a moment in time in the coming decades where you have dengue in Bogotá. Bogotá is not prepared for dengue. Hospitals might be very, very developed compared to the ones in Letizia, but Letizia knows how to deal with dengue, Bogotá doesn't, mm-hmm. and to put it in, in very simple terms. Mm-hmm. And then the transition risks, just to be very, very concise, it's essentially climate change will occur whether we want it or not. And a lot of countries are already uh, thinking about that, and they, they're taking economic policy to transition the economy away from Um, um, uh, Mm carbon-intensive economies and towards low or carbon-neutral economies. That entails changing um, demand for certain goods, let's say in Colombia. Colombia is a country that is heavily reliant on oil and coal exports to finance uh, everything. (laughs) Royalties, las regalías, as they say. So there's a risk that, let's say, a, a country like Poland or Turkey that imports a lot of Colombia's coal, shuts down their coal plants. Where will Colombia's coal go? It won't go anywhere. And if not, and not only that, where will we get our money from? That's transition risk. Where are the regalias for Cesar and Guajira going to come from, right? That's transition risk. And you can apply that to many sectors, such as the automotive, uh, agricultural sectors, etc. But that's that's another story, longer story. Sorry if I no. I went overboard.
1: <laughs> uh, I think it's uh, phenomenal. And of course, bringing in the economic transition, uh, that point is people don't think about it. You know, what if... They don't buy coal in Poland or Turkey uh, from Colombia. Where are we going to be? And uh, very interesting to think about. Not something I would thought about either. And I just, I, I was thinking about your your tale and well your 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 facts on you know maybe dengue and Bogota. I just this week finished a book by Timothy Winegard uh, called hmm. The Mosquito. And he charts history and how the mosquito has totally upended so many events in history. And we're even talking, not only just the, let's say, the uh, European discovery of Latin America, but things like the the U.S. Civil War, uh, you know, certain. It, it, it was known you couldn't wage war in certain periods of summer if you were the you know the the union army coming south because of malaria and because of dengue and because of everything else i mean it was actually into and when you think of the deaths from the killing and the deaths from mosquito-borne illnesses it's I mean, it's the mind boggles. The mind boggles, mm. and even in the far reaches in World War One, which we just think of sort of trenches and in in, you know in, in Flanders and and so on. But on the far reaches out into Bulgaria, there was malaria. There were problems with mosquitoes, and so it was so fascinating when you think about that. Of course, it's terrifying too. You can imagine Bogota, Bogota is not ready for a lot of things. <laughs> That's exactly. the truth of it. Exactly. Uh, and that about these, these heat islands, very interesting indeed. I, I would hope not to get heat stroke in Bogota. Um, but, uh, you know, when we're thinking of climate change, the, the level of air quality here is quite shocking. And so we know, I mean, I, I live up on the mountain, and I can look out over it. And you can see during the deepest days of the quarantine and isolation, we had views of the mountains and so on, you know, the, the light industry and the semi light industry in Bogota was obviously shut off. Uh, you know, and so we saw a change and, and you can see that. And of course, you know, my friends will say, Oh, you know, the nature's healing itself. And I said, yeah, but for how long, I mean, we, we're going to yeah. get a few months of healing. I want to, and and I know you can talk forever, but I want to ask you about this piece in Colombia and its link to climate change. Cause I think that's a really interesting topic. I, I have uh, thoughts on this too, but you are the expert again. So tell me about that.
3: Um, so, um, Oof, that's that's a big topic, but to, <laughs> to put it in, in very, uh, very, I wouldn't say simple, but very, very understandable terms, um, we, we tend to think of as conflict as generate as caused by humans. Um, and, and we tend to think of as conflicting in Colombia as caused by the by the whims, I would say, of, of a very limited group of people who've taken arms, whether for the right or the left to to wreak havoc in the country. But now what about conflict that is not directly caused by humans, but rather indirectly, although um, definitely proven to be caused by humans? That's essentially what the climate crisis is. And the reason why we we talk about a a connection between um, the climate crisis and uh, the conflict in Colombia is twofold. The first being its relation uh, with mitigation. So when we talk about um, the amount of emissions, greenhouse gas emissions in Colombia, I'm going to throw out a a very important statistic that I think a lot of people in Colombia don't know enough about, uh, which is the, the number one source of greenhouse gas emissions in Colombia is land use, is deforestation. So whenever I, I see um, a lot of uh, politicians saying, oh, the, the solution of climate change in Colombia is to put up solar panels and wind turbines in La Guajira. Have you ever read the, <laughs> the statistics of, of, of the cause of climate change in the country? Um, and, and to talk about this, after the peace agreement, there was this, um, this uh, paper, I think, uh, um, published by the Ministry of Finance in Colombia. Ministerio de Hacienda that stated that there was going to be something called the peace dividend and the peace dividend was this opportunity for development in rural areas. Of course, that didn't happen uh, for a lot of reasons that we're not going to get into. um, But a a drawback is that to some extent, the peace dividend did happen. Uh, How did it happen in those uh, areas where conflict was ravaging for many, many decades those are the hotspots of deforestation in Colombia today. So, so we do see a, almost a super precision between the hotspots of conflict and the hotspots of, of the climate crisis, of the cause of the climate crisis. And the main reason for that is something that we call land speculation, not so much for cattle grazing, but rather to, to be able to take a piece of land, a plot of land owned by no one, uh, work on it, quote unquote, with a couple cows, every couple of uh, hectares, and then in a couple of years, sell it at a profit at a very, very generous profit. Um, and what I mean uh, is that essentially the, uh, this land, it's not owned by anyone. It's, it's land that was owned by indigenous groups many, many years ago, indigenous groups that have been displaced and it's land that it's being used either for cultivation of illicit crops, uh, for illegal mining, but most of it, it's for what this, uh, what I'm calling land speculation. Mm -hmm. Um, then that's on the, on the sides of, of the causes of climate change. Then on the consequences of climate change, we see climate change and us as humans uh, contributing to this problem as victimarios. Um, Why? Because climate change is a humanitarian conflict. And we see that particularly and more more relevantly uh, internationally with uh, migrants from the Triangulo Norte. So the the region comprised by Guatemala, Salvador, and Honduras, where we see climate change and failing crops, coffee, cocoa, Um, And other types of crops driving people out in the thousands out of their lands. Those are what we call in the climate activist movement, climate migrants, not legally recognized by any country in the world as refugees. Nonetheless, refugees, refugees from which war? A silent war, a war that we 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 can't pull. uh, We can't uh, signal anyone as being the the sole uh, cause of that conflict. but also a conflict that we know exists. So that's why it's important to tropicalize the Mm -hmm. climate discourse going back to the beginning. Um, Because if we still think that climate change is about, quote unquote, our future, (laughs) the future of my generation and the generations after me, um, or we think it's about uh, the integrity of nature in very romantic terms, Mm -hmm. we're missing the whole point, which is there's victims of climate change today um, and climate change, and, and this is a very personal opinion of mine, is not about the environment. It's about humanity and humanity's survival. So I think that to put it in very, in very uh, concrete terms, that's that's the connection I see between conflict and and climate change, specifically in Colombia. Where, you know, displacement in particular has been a a, a symptom of the the, the lack of of, of of good governance in in, in Colombia.
1: Wow! Yeah, it's uh, there's a lot there. There's a lot there, definitely, and I, 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 you know, I uh But then it's Colombia. When have we ever been able to explain anything in just a succinct in a, succinct <laughs> in phrase? a couple of words? Yeah, yeah, it's it's Colombia. But so tell me, and uh, we're going to have to wind this down, unfortunately. But I'm going to have you back on the show at another time because you, you you speak so well and so knowledgeably. So we need to get you back on. But um, as a young man, as a young man your perspective uh, on the future for Colombia in terms of your activism, climate change, national politics, again, it's a huge question, but you must have an idea or an outlook for the future. I mean, mine presently, but we're sitting in what is another sort of quarantine style thing is not so positive. But let you know, let it, what is your generation? What are people in your position? What are they thinking?
3: So I'd like to to bring on the words of um, the former secretary of something called the United Nations Framework Convention of Climate Change. Okay. And it's essentially it's a long name, the UNFCCC, um, for the for the body that essentially convenes the or convened the Paris Climate Agreement.
1: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: and the, the former secretary of the of the UNFCCC, her name is Cristiana Figueres. She's a Costa Rican um, diplomat, mm-hmm. brilliant woman. Um, who was the one of the main architects of the Paris Climate Agreement? And her words, I think, resonate with a lot of young people, whether uh, they know the words uh, explicitly or they 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 can empathize with the feeling. And she always says we need to be um, stubborn optimists. Uh, and uh, what she, I, what I think she means by that is that if we're um, if we, we if we don't think there's any way out. And if we we let uh, the numbers and here's where climate change turns human, if we let the numbers and the science guide our thinking, then everything's lost. Mm -hmm. And sorry, the battle is always, uh, it's already lost. Like why fight a battle, you know, you're going to lose. And that's why uh, I think that (laughs) listen to to, to the actual hope of, of young people. And that's where where it becomes interesting because it's it's not an optimism that's blind. It's an optimism that it's very well aware of the data, but also an optimism that recognizes the the possibility and all the opportunities in um, in young people. And not only in young people, but let's say in Colombia. A couple of months ago, I read the in, in succession, also because of you uh, <laughs> the. Uh, uh, the uh, the the book by Wade Davis on the Magdalena, ah, yeah. and um, and then after that I read uh, the Invention of Nature by Andrea Wolf, which is this um, very very miraculous. Um, I don't know summary of of, of Humboldt's life, Alexander mm-hmm. von Humboldt. And after reading all that, you say, Jesus, like why <laughs> as a Colombian am I not aware of the country that we have? Mm -hmm. like of course i've always been told that we're a country of of riches and whatever but wow and it's like this has been sitting there doing absolutely nothing for hundreds of years like how am i not going to be an optimist Mm -hmm. if i'm sitting on a pile of gold and not not gold that's going to be spent like Mm -hmm. traditional gold but rather uh, to put it in very (laughs) romantic terms like green gold gold that grows out of the ground gold that never will never run out if you're able to to um to take care of it
1: that's incredibly upbeat and a wonderful way in which to bring this episode to an end and i love the idea of stubborn optimism and that will help me i'm going to think about that a bit and that's going to help i've been going through a little bit of a funk of late uh, regarding colombian politics and i'm just going to move to move it to one side and have the stubborn optimism that things we have to fight the battles and it has to get better and colombia is a country with so much and you say not just the gold the green gold the there is so much to harness here uh within the country and i'm not discussing that in a manner of saying the extractive industries so there's just so much here uh and you know having spent quite a long time here in this country you sort of have seen a lot of it but the, again there's so much more There's so much territory and the human capital and of course it's a young yes. country the generations coming through different generations generations such and I as think, yours.
3: To, to interrupt you one 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 quick second is the like a a new renaissance like our group like i'm i'm very fortunate of having been able to to be able to say i have friends who are at Mm huaco i have i have friends who are in choco i i can i can't imagine my 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 parents or my grandparents saying that phrase Mm -hmm. and it's colombia knowing itself and i think that that very fact is going to allow us to do many many wonderful things like it's it's like the, the sky is the limit that might sound a little bit cheesy or cliche but Fine. i think it's very very pertinent
1: please please hold on to that optimism Hold on to it with both hands. <laughs> Don't let yourself become old and jaded like me. <laughs> um, listen, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for agreeing to come on, taking time out of your day. Has your Pacto por el Clima, does it, do you have a website or a way that people can we get in do. touch? We have
3: a website. It's pactoporelclima.org. And the por is an X. So Pacto x el Clima. Mm. Uh, but you can also go online to our Instagram page that's where we keep um everyone up to date with what we're doing. Um it's arroa so at pacto por el clima on Instagram, on Twitter, and on Facebook. Excellent. And there you'll see everything, absolutely everything we do.
1: Excellent. I will put those up uh, in due course on all of our social media and share this. Let me just take this moment to say Juan José Guzmán, thank you so much for your time. It has been not only educating but uplifting having you on and talking and you know someone of a very different generation to mine and it's such optimism such uh, well there's a realism there too you know if you work together and you push it and you are getting your messages across to people in positions of power and of course, positioning yourselves for positions of power in the future. This is what the younger generation has to do. You have to occupy these seats and, and and then push through these the you know, let's say the evolution of a, a policy and politics. And I understand that you hope to go to grad school and study an MA in public administration and policy. Well please yeah, do so and then come back and bring your knowledge to Colombia to help improve the situation here. That's my wish.
3: That's the goal. That's the goal, Richard. Thank Wonderful. you. Thank you so much for, for your invitation, for your time and for your listeners. No. Um, a generous time sharing this space with us.
1: Uh, very kind of you, indeed. Well, that's been episode three hundred and sixty-five. I know you've enjoyed it. It's so articulate, Juan Jose Guzman, sharing the, his opinions and knowledge with us, and really, it's left me feeling quite good. And uh, that you know, that leads us into into other other issues, and, and we leave we we move away from politics for a little while just to think about and reflect on on what was discussed right here. So, thank you again, everyone, for listening. Thank you for your continued support. Please uh, of course check us out on patreon.com columbia calling uh for as little as two dollars a month you can help us remain financially viable uh and of course we're on we've got our website columbiacalling.co we're on instagram uh no we're not on instagram i'm on instagram uh twitter and facebook and everywhere else but thank you once again that's farewell from me this week